Welcome to TVN's Praise Podcast, hosted by Matt and Lori Crouch, where you will hear interviews with some of your favorite Bible teachers, pastors, authors, and Christian leaders. On today's episode, Bill Cornelius hosts New York Times bestselling author, Sheila Walsh. Listen as Sheila shares her story of childhood abuse and trauma and the true redemption and healing she found in Christ. It's great to have you here. This is really gonna be a special program, and I know you have an amazing new book, before we get to that, though, you know, people think, man, my life, if it was only as great as Sheila Walsh's, <laughs> I mean, everything must just go perfect for her growing up. It just must have been all rosy and great. But I want you to tell us the real story. What happened in your life? And tell us how God brought you to this point in your life. Well, I was born um, in the west coast of Scotland, a small fishing village. And I was born to a mom and dad who loved Jesus, which wouldn't be unusual in the States. But in Scotland, at that point, less than 3% of our population even went to church. Wow. So to have a mom and dad who didn't just go to church, but who really loved Jesus was such a gift. My sister, who's two years older, she's kind of what every mother hopes for. You know, she liked all the kind of ribbons and sticky outy dresses. But I was a tomboy, so I adored my dad. I thought there was nobody on this earth quite like my father. Um, But when I was about five years old, my father had a massive brain aneurysm. Mm which changed his personality. And he went from being this warm, loving dad to a confused and ultimately violent stranger. And the last day I ever saw my dad, I turned just in time to see that he was about to bring his cane down in my skull. And I don't know whether I pushed it or pulled it, but he lost his balance and lay on the ground just roaring like an animal. And the last look in my father's eyes was one of absolute hatred. Mm. And he was taken off that day to what was then called our local lunatic asylum. It's what you'd call a psych hospital these days. He was 34 years old. Wow. But he managed to escape one night and he drowned himself in the river behind the hospital. And you didn't take children to funerals in Scotland to to a graveside. All I remember is my mom coming home in a black dress with a black hat on Mm. and taking every single picture of my father off the walls or off the table and putting them in a little suitcase which she locked and pushed under the bed and we never mentioned his name again. Wow. I think we know so much more now about how to help children process grief. I think my mom thought, I'll let Sheila bring the conversation up. She had no way of knowing that there was a question that burned inside of me that no one could answer. What did my dad see in me that made him hate me so much? So I grew up with what I call a profound sense of shame. And here's how I differentiate between shame and guilt. If I said something unkind to you, I would feel guilty until I could say, listen, please forgive me. That was all my fault. So guilt tells me I've done something wrong. Shame tells me I am something wrong. Wow. And what do you do with that? And I remember the night I gave my life to Christ when I was 11. My mom prayed for me and she said something that would be good news to most people. She said, Sheila, not only is Christ your savior and your Lord, you have a heavenly father watching out for you, watching over you. But I remember at 11 thinking, I've got one more chance to get it right. Whatever my earthly dad saw in me that made him hate me, my heavenly father is never going to see in me. I'm going to be the perfect Christian Mm. if it kills me. Wow. And it, but you know, it nearly did. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, that can just put you in such a performance trap so quick. Absolutely. It's why I went to seminary when I was 19. Mm -hmm. I went to London Theological Seminary to train to be a missionary in India because I couldn't think of anything I would hate more. Wow. I actually thought, 
how, you know, how proud of God of me God would be thinking, look at her, she's traveling, which she hates to do, going to a country with very large crawly beasties. Um, <laughs> all because she loves me, what a girl. So it's like to please God, yeah. I have something that I don't want to do. Like, watch me, Lord, watch me. Wow. Um, and God redirected my steps. I ended up working with Billy Graham and his crusades. Wow. And then um, I got an invitation to become Pat Robertson's co-host on the 700 Club. Incredible. For five years, but inside... I was still the same scared little broken girl mm. who wouldn't let anybody get close to her in case you saw what my father saw. Yeah. Do you know it's possible to be very well known and desperately lonely? Yeah. That's how I lived. Wow. You know, it's crazy. You can be rich and be lonely. You can be married and be lonely. Yeah. You can be worshiping God with all your heart on Sunday and be lonely. Yeah. It's amazing how that happens. Now, you know, I just want to ask about something too. You just, you talked about your mom. She probably just did the best she could. Oh, absolutely. You know, my she mom probably was just didn't know. Amazing. I mean, no one talked about mental health issues, yeah. at least that I remember, until the last probably, what, five or ten years. And particularly in Scotland. I mean, in Scotland, we, you know, I was brought up in a very conservative. Yeah. I mean, my church, my great great grandfather made the communion table. You know, we came wow. from this long line of godly, strong women. Wow. But we didn't talk about the things that really hurt us. You mm. know, we just carried on. But God in his mercy, that's what blows me away about the love of God. Yeah. You know, he, God knew I was just surviving. And he set up uh, a rescue plan that I would never have signed up for. But God's plans are so much greater than we could imagine. Yeah. Yeah. And what happened to me was one morning on live television, my guest, instead of answering my question, turned the tables and said to me, Sheila, you sit here every day asking how we're doing. How are you doing? And she meant it kindly. But I wasn't prepared for it, and I hadn't time to pull up that wall. And wow. I fell apart on huh. national television. And by that evening, I was in the locked ward of a psychiatric hospital. Wow. Wow. Goodness. So, you know, it's interesting you say that because I think God allows people to make a giant mistake or a fall or a failure or just kind of fall apart in, in a public setting because that way you can't deny it or hide it any longer. So now you have to deal with it. Yeah. So here you are in the psych ward and you're like, I'm Miss Christian leader everyone looks to and my life is crumbling. What's going through your mind at this point? You know, it was interesting because the person who was the most supportive and loving toward me was Pat Robertson. Wow. You know, he was, I mean, he was my boss. He was the man I looked up to, a mentor. He should have been the one saying, you know, we're talking about healing and miracles here and you're falling off your chair. Yeah. But he was the most loving and supportive. But one of our senior staff took me for a walk around our building before I headed to the hospital. And he said, you can't do this. If people find out where you're going, they will never trust you again. Your ministry will be over. Wow. You are the weak link here. Mm. You know, the enemy's trying to use you to destroy this ministry. And I felt so, I mean, I already felt so guilty. Yeah, yeah. And it just made me feel so much worse. And he said, you need to save your ministry. Yeah. And I said, he, he meant it good. He meant he it well, did. I'm sure. But, I, but what I said to him was, I'm not trying to save my ministry. I'm trying to save my life. Wow. Wow. And that's the amazing thing about God. Wow. That's incredible. You know, Sheila, the thing is, is that I don't think your situation is unique at all. Mm. I think this is something that people really resonate all over the world. Yeah. But nobody wants to say it. I know. It's the elephant in the room. Yeah. You know what was interesting was I hadn't even thought about the fact that this unit I was in was a Christian unit within a psychiatric hospital. Wow. So it hadn't occurred to me that some of these other patients would know who I was. And that first morning, 
you know, they take away your belt, your hose, your makeup, your hair dryer, anything you could hurt yourself with. Yeah. I remember saying to the nurse, trust me, I have no intentions of blow drying myself to death. Right, she right, was right. not impressed. Yeah. But the next morning, I put on my bathrobe and I wandered along to where the other patients were. Mm. And it was one of those moments when, you know, everybody's talking until you walk in and there's just like silence. And this one guy eventually said, are you Sheila Walsh? And I said, yeah. He said, well, what are you doing here? <laughs> and I said, I'm a patient. And he said, yeah, right. And I said, you think I'm here to do a documentary in my bathrobe? I yeah. don't think so. Wow. And he said something that was hard to hear, but it was part of my healing. He said, hey, I don't mean to offend you. We all watch you every morning. You're supposed to be helping us. Wow. But when you finally Amen. fall off your shelf, yeah. and join the rest of people who love God but don't have all the answers. Yeah. Those yeah. who are beautifully broken by Christ. That's so good. That's so good. Wow. You know, I, I remember the first time I, I shared in church some shortcomings and my wife was like, people are, are, are going to freak out that you struggle with this or that. And the exact opposite happened. Yeah. People were drawn to it. Mm -hmm. I just believe God uses a brokenness in, in you to this day. It's attractive. It draws people to your ministry and to your words. It gives you more influence, not less influence. It's the exact opposite of what we think. Yeah, and I think we need to decide who is the hero of our story. Mm. I'm not the hero of my story. Jesus is the hero of my That's story. Good. That's I'm so not the good. good news. He's the good news. Love that. That's so good. Wow. Now, you've, you've, written, you've written a lot of books, but this one's obviously much more personal than probably any book you have. I mean, this is, it's okay not to be okay. I love that title. Like, I'm already saying, I'm stealing this copy and taking this one home, <laughs> home with me. This, this looks incredible. First of all, I don't know anyone who doesn't feel like they're not okay most of the time. The reason I wrote that was because I've written in the past about some of my struggles about, you know, I was diagnosed with severe clinical depression. Yeah. But I would get so many notes, um, Facebook comments from people saying, thank you for letting me know I'm not alone. Yeah. But what now? I feel stuck. I'm struggling. Yeah. So I wanted to pour into this book the eight things that God has taught me to move forward so in life. That's so good. Now, I was, look, I was looking at this in the very first thing you say, the first step. What is the first step? I just saw that and I was like, okay, I got to know. For me, the first step is daring to have a gut level, unedited conversation with God. Wow. You know, so often we're we're afraid to say what we really think because yeah. it doesn't sound spiritual. But yeah. I believe to the level we're willing to be honest with God is an indication of how much we actually trust Him. Wow. If you feel you have to be careful, you've minimized yeah, God. You know, good. it's like God is big. God can handle. And I think it's such a, if you look at the Psalmist David, if you look at Jeremiah, if you look at so many people who are looked on as heroes of the faith, but yeah. they poured out Job, they poured out the truth. Yeah. And it didn't dismiss the presence of God. It invited the presence of wow. God. So just that raw honesty. Yeah. yeah. I love how David said, smite my enemies. I love that. I'm like, <laughs> he says, in so, smite my enemies. And by the end of it, he's like, okay, fine, Lord, love them too. You know, <laughs> like he's upset about it. And but I think we can all relate to that. Like, yeah. that's how you really feel sometimes. I'm mad at this person. Yeah. It hurt my feelings. They, they, they betrayed me. Yeah, my son, Christian, he's, he's now 22. He's a senior at Texas A&M. But when he was five years old, my father-in-law moved in with us after the death of my mother-in-law, and Christian adored his papa. And he and I were the only two home the night that William died. Mm -hmm. And we followed the ambulance to the hospital. And by the time we got there, my father-in-law was already home with Jesus. Mm -hmm. And my son, for the first two or three weeks, did what I expected. Mm -hmm. He cried a lot. Yeah. 
But then one day he did this strange thing. We had this humongous cat we'd adopted from the sh shelter. And he loved this cat, but he pushed Lily off the sofa. So I said to him, babe, why don't you and I go for a walk? And after a while I said to him, Christian, are you angry? And he said, yes, I'm angry. You told me that God answers prayer. And when we followed the ambulance, I said, dear God, please don't take my papa. And he mm -hmm. died. So I don't like God anymore and I am not praying. Wow. And I said to Christian, that is totally understandable. Sure. And here's a couple of things. You get to be angry, but you can't hurt yourself or anyone else. So I drove him to the sports store and I got him a punching bag and boxing gloves. Mm. And I said, baby, when you're angry, you hit that thing till you're worn out, but then you fall into the arms of a God who loves you enough to allow you to be angry. That's so good. That's so good. I, I just, I want to stop on that for a moment because you know, suicide has gotten just, I can't believe I'm use this word, but it's gotten popular as if it's a trend. And it, it's just, it's sick what's happening in our world today. And I'm sure everyone knows someone who has thought about or attempted or actually taken their life. And I, I'm just, as a pastor, I'm tired of burying young people that are far too young to give, to, to die. And, you know, and, but it's not just young people, it's older people too. So you touched on something that was so powerful how you said it, that you don't have the right in your anger to hurt yourself or, or someone else. And so the Bible says in your anger, don't sin. What, what do you do then? What's the proper response when you just feel no hope? I think one of the main things we have to do is start shining the brightest light into the darkest corners of the church. Mm. Because uh, there's certain things we just don't talk about. Yeah. And what I write about is that the first time that I tried to end my life, I was 18 years old and I was a student in seminary. Wow. I took a train into London one night and I was walking around in the rain thinking, Lord, why do I feel so desperate, so alone, so overwhelmed? And I actually stepped up onto the bridge, looking down onto the railroad tracks. And I felt this voice saying, jump, Sheila, just jump. It won't hurt. You don't have to do that. And what saved me that night and many nights into the future was one name, the name of Jesus. So good. Calling on the name That's of good. Jesus. That's good. You know, I love it. So often we, we know that scripture, those who yeah. call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So good. But it's not just for that moment of salvation. When you're reaching for that bottle and you, you want to put it down and you don't have the strength, call on the name of the Lord. He's still saving. Yes, he's every still. Day. Every means, day. Salvation means to save and to heal. It's an ongoing process. Yeah. But unless we start talking about these things in, in the church and making, let me tell you about one thing that happened that totally blew me away. I was speaking at a conference in the Midwest, 5,000 beautiful women. Um, you know, a typical Christian conference, three days, they have their conference outfit one, conference outfit two, conference outfit three, and they all look perfect. Yeah. But on that final night, I shared about what I have struggled with. And I said, I, if anyone in here is a cutter, if you've struggled with suicidal wow. thoughts, I want you to get out of your seat and join me. Over 400 women at this Christian conference from 15 to 82. Wow. And for me, wow. something rose up in me that night. Yeah. I'm only five, actually I used to be five, three, I'm only five, two, I'm going, no, no, I think I was five, four before. I'll be a garden gnome by Christmas, <laughs> is the basic bottom line. You're so funny. But something rose up in me to say, you know what, no, in Jesus' name, we need to stand beside each other, wow. cover each other, pray for each other, find a couple of safe people in your life wow. and tell them the truth. Okay, I, I don't think we can miss this moment. This is too good of a moment. I know right now there are people watching 
that are saying, are you kidding me? I'm flipping through the channels and I'm thinking about ending my own life right now. I'm thinking about this week. I've got a plan in my mind. There are people that are that desperate. Maybe that's you. I want to ask Sheila, would you just take a moment and pray for that person and help them to. find hope? That, 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 that hope has a name and his name is Jesus. Would you just lead them right now? You know, if you feel desperate in this moment, I know what that feels like. And maybe it's because you've been left alone. Maybe promises have been made to you and they've been broken. I want to tell you about a God who kept his toughest promise, which was that he would send his son to die for us so that we could be free. If God kept that toughest promise, trust me, he will keep all his promises to you. Psalm 34 says this, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. If you're crushed right now, would you let me pray for you? Father God, thank you that although you are a magnificent, glorious Father, you are also intimately involved in our lives. Lord, I ask right now for any man, for any woman, for any child who finds himself in a desperate place. Lord, I ask in the powerful name of Jesus that wherever they are, you would flood their room with hope, that your grace would fall upon them, yes. that your glory would shine upon them, and that they would know that you died for them, Jesus, so that they have a reason to get up and say, today I am going to live because I have a God who is willing to die for me. Thank you, Jesus, that there are no limits to your love. We bless your holy name. Amen. Amen. Wow. Isn't God good? Amazing. Amazing. All right. I just want to say this right now. It's kind of personal, but you told me go you could it. go there. All right. You told me that, you know, you love the Lord. God's really helped you, but you did seek medical help too. Oh, yeah. That you recognize you need to make some things balanced in your own mind, in your own in your own body as well. And I think a lot of Christians feel like, oh, no, I, I'm, I'm a person of faith. I can't do that. I'm a Christian. I shouldn't, I shouldn't have to rely upon a doctor or medicine. What is your take on that? You know, it's interesting because my first week in the hospital, the psychiatrist said, I want to put you on medication. And I was like, no, nope, I don't want any of your happy pills. And he said, yeah. no, those are street drugs. We don't sell those here. <laughs> he explained that some people, um, their brain simply doesn't produce enough yeah. serotonin mm -hmm. to be able to function well. And I have to say, to this day, I take that little pill every morning with Great. a prayer of thanksgiving that God has made it possible. Yeah. We all have brokenness in some area. For some of us, it's our heart, or it might be our stomach we've issues with. For me, it's simply that my brain doesn't produce enough chemicals. But with that little pill, I'm able to serve God and serve those around me and be a good mom and a good wife. Praise God. You know, I love that because we forget that in the Bible, like Elijah, when he was literally suicidal, here's this great prophet of God and says, just take my life, Lord. I'm no better than my ancestors. And I love how he compared himself to other people. I know no one's doing that today with social media. No one's comparing themselves to other people unrealistically, but let's just say that's happening. And so we look at other people's lives. They look so great and they're happy. And why am I not as happy? And it's cool. And why am I missing out? Whatever they're doing at that moment, you know, and so we, we just get down discouraged. So the Bible says that he said, Elijah, go take a nap. Mm -hmm. Then he wakes him up and he says, now, now eat. So rest, regimenting your schedule, what you put in your body, that's such a big deal. And you know, it's interesting the timing of that too. Mm -hmm. If you think that God just showed up in the most miraculous way yeah. on Mount Carmel. I mean, the 
400 prophets of Baal, nothing happened. And you have one man against those 400 prophets and all the people of Israel, and God showed up. But then Elijah thought, well, he now understood God, which is why he ran to Jezreel, to where Ahab and Jezebel had their their palace, imagining that now they'll repent or the people will throw them out. And they did neither. So he doesn't understand God anymore. And he runs into the wilderness and says, take my life. And in that moment, you would think God would have the right to say, what is wrong with you? But instead, there's this angel of the Lord who touches him gently, wakes him up, home-cooked meal, and then says, rest again, or this journey will be too much for you. We have a God full of grace and mercy. So good, so good. You know what, you said something too that's really great, and I've been warned of this for many years from other preachers that have a lot more experience than I do. They always said, when you come off a spiritual high is when you get attacked, depressed, when you struggle with anxiety. So you think, but I just had this great moment. And all of a sudden, it's like the hope that we had isn't fulfilled because it's not going to be fulfilled on this earth or anything of this earth. Speak to that. Because here you are traveling, touring, speaking, preaching, singing. And yet here you are with all that going on. You have high moments and then you crash. What does that look like for you? You know, what's interesting to me is when I was a young Christian, I used to think, gosh, wouldn't it be so amazing if you actually saw the miracles of Jesus? You know, how many of you have thought that? If you were there when some of these miraculous things happened, how much easier it would be to believe. But I discovered miracles don't change us. Obedience to Christ changes us. Because if you think when Christ called Lazarus forth from the tomb, I mean, this man had been in the tomb four days. That was unheard of. All the Jews believed at that point that for three days, God gave you a choice. Do you want to come back? or not. But Mm. by the fourth day, the door was closed. So when Lazarus came out after four days, people are stunned. But then you read 50% of them fell on their knees in worship. 50% of them walked away and said to the religious leaders, you've got to get rid of this guy. So in my own life, I've discovered that the miraculous, the high moments don't change me. Mm. It's it's a daily obedience to Christ that changes me. So on those, like when I come from a high, like I was over in Australia and I had the opportunity of speaking at all the Hillsong services in Sydney. And Incredible. Amazing. Oh, yeah. But when I come home, what I do is I grab my well-worn Bible and a cup of coffee and I sit with, and I, there's some days when I feel like so full I could study two chapters, but on some days when I don't, I'll find one verse. Like this morning, Psalm 143, verse 8. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love. For I have placed my trust in you. Show me the way I should go. For to you I entrust my life. And I meditate on that. People say, we we don't meditate. That's all Eastern stuff. No, that's our stuff. You know, Eastern religion tells you to empty your mind. The Christians, we fill our mind with the word of God. It's good. It's so good. I love it. You know... This lady knows her Bible, by the way. I'm picking up on that. You know the word. I love it. And uh, so I'm not surprised at all that you teach every single week all over the world uh, through your television program. It's so powerful. You know, it's funny because you're talking about getting in the word. And I, was, I, I just was looking at this. You have a chapter that I think is really great. Change the way you think. I mean, I love it. You, you went straight to the word first thing in the morning. And I love it. I just want to point this out, too, that here you've been faithful. And God used you for so many years in a powerful way all around the world. And you're teaching, you're singing, your entire ministry. And I, I love how you brought it back to your well-worn Bible. Because your public ministry will never rise above your private prayer life. No. 
And so here you are, a woman of the word in God's truth, but that takes a discipline. Tell me about that. Tell me about how that affects your mind. You know, it's interesting when Paul writes in Romans um, 12 to don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Put that back in context. Paul's not living with Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and TV. So if Paul needed to say to the people in those days, do not be conformed to this world, it's obviously been something we have struggled with from the moment that Adam and Eve decided to see what life on their own looked like. So for me, the word transformation, it only occurs one time in all four Gospels. And it's that moment when Christ is on that Mount of configuration, of transfiguration. Transfiguration, And it's this beautiful thing where he was transformed. And scripture tells us one day we will all be like that. One day we will be transformed and we will shine like stars, but we're still here on this earth. So for now, the way that we change the way we think is we re-wallpaper our mind. We think about all the things that we take in on a daily basis. You know, like it's good to watch the news. You know, I don't do it every day because it can be a little depressing. Yeah. But I, I, I pay attention to where I spend my time. It's good. Because when the psalmist David said, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable, be pleasing to you, O Lord, that says to me, whatever I'm meditating on is going to come out of my mouth. So if I'm meditating just on everything that's on TV, yeah. I have a feeling that's going to sneak out of my mouth. Wow. But if I'm meditating on the word of God, if I'm worshiping. I have a praise, um, a whole praise list. I listen to the car when I'm driving to work. And even on days when I think, oh, it's raining and the traffic's terrible, I'll stick that in and I'm like, no devil, no, not today. (laughs) And there's something about that that just lifts us. It reminds of what's always true, no matter what might be true at this moment. So good. Your mother was right, basically, that garbage in Yep. Garbage out. Like yep. It's really, really true. It's true. It seems like there's more garbage now. I know. There's more access. And with to more it. access to garbage. And you talked about yeah. social media mm-hmm. and the way that we compare. Comparison is just deadly. It is. You know, if you look at what somebody else is doing, um, I remember when I was invited to join, there was a women's movement for 20 years called Women of Faith. And I was asked to join the team. And I said yes until the very first night when I heard two of the other speakers and they were so brilliant. I thought, oh, gosh, why did I say yes? And I locked (laughs) myself in the bathroom in the arena and I said, Lord, I can't do this. And I heard clearly the Lord say, Sheila, run in your own lane, run in your own lane. I have given you gifts that are different. So don't look to your right or your left. Look to me and run in your own lane. We hope you're enjoying the Praise Podcast. We'll get back to the interview soon. I love how you say face the what ifs. Isn't it funny how we get so worked up? What if this happens? What if they said this? What if that happens? And we just get freaked out. Tell me about that. You know, after my father's death, um, my mom prayed two prayers, which she told me as I was growing up. She prayed that one, she would see each one of us coming to know Christ at an early age, my brother, my sister and I, and two, that she would see us grown up and into our own calling. And my brother was the last to graduate as an architect. And so by then I was living over here. So I flew back home and I said to my mom, okay, I'm here to dream with you for the next part of your life. And she said, what are you talking about? And I said, mom, God has answered those two prayers. So if you still have a pulse and there's not a white chalk mark around your body, you're not done. (laughs) That's right. And I said, what have you always wanted to do? And she said, well, I used to want to teach or to have a Bible study. And I said, okay, I'll drop little flyers and we'll invite all your neighbors. And she said, well, what if nobody comes? 
And I said, well, nobody comes. You and I will eat all the cakes. <laughs> and she said, what if people do come? And I'm like, well, that'll be great. She said, what if I don't know the answers? And I said, then we'll just simply say, you know what? We don't know the answers. Come back next week. Yeah. And I watched my mom on that very first one. I took a back seat sharing with her, her neighbours. And I'll never forget the call when she called me and told me about the first of her neighbours she got to lead to Christ. Wow. So often the what ifs hold us back. But don't be afraid to step through your fear. Yeah. Do it afraid because Jesus is with you. Oh, that's good. Do it afraid. Is that what you just said? That's what Elizabeth oh, Elliot told me. That. You know, Elizabeth Elliot was married to Jim Elliot, you know, who lost his life um, to the Alka Indians. And what I didn't realize was that, you know, when Elizabeth stayed on in that area, her daughter, Valerie, was just three. And she wanted to reach these people, but they'd killed her husband. What if they killed her? What if their daughter was left with no, no one? But she was compelled by the Holy Spirit, but she was afraid. So her friend said to her, Elizabeth, do it afraid. Incredible. And I've never forgotten that. If we, if we let our fear hold us back, we'll never fulfill the destiny. Because every single one of us has a destiny, a unique calling from Christ. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love it. You know, people say, well, what if it doesn't work out? What if it does? Yeah, right. What if it works out beautifully? That's what I've always said to my son. Never be afraid of failing. That's right. Failing is a great teacher. Just be afraid of never trying. Right. What if I ask her out and she says no? Well, then you're going to stay home Friday night like you did last Friday night. What's, <laughs> what's the loss? You know, right? <laughs> Go ahead and take that step. Take that step of faith. Whatever it is, take the step of faith and, and be willing to take the risk. You know, you've taken a risk because you've been so vulnerable in your book. And you just, you just put yourself out there like that. Tell me about, was it, was it a little cathartic for you to do that? Just to kind of lay it out there? Was it a little therapy for you to... Does that make sense? Like the Bible sure. talks about journaling and I'm thinking, I bet sure. as you were writing this, you're like, oh man, I remember God, you brought me through this and you brought me through that. Tell me about yeah. that process for you. I take my template for ministry from Paul's letter to the church in Thessalonica. He said, we've determined among you not just to share the gospel, but our very lives. So to me, there's power in sharing our story, yeah. but then the bigger story, which is God's story, which is why I say about this book, this is not self-help. Self-help's no help at all. This yeah. is God help. That's so this good. is how God met me. But I think, you know, I think of women who've lost a child. Mm. That's a pain I can't imagine. Yeah. But if you've gone through that, once you've come to a place sufficient in your healing, you can reach another woman in a way I never will. Yeah. If you've struggled with alcoholism, if you anything, a drug addiction, whatever it is, when we're able, which is why one of my Favorite chapters is called Celebrate Your Scars mm. as Tattoos of Triumph. That's great. God tells his story in scars. Christ could have decided to rise from the dead and leave the scars behind in the tomb with the wrap, but he didn't. If Jesus chose to rise with his scars, why should we be afraid of ours, ashamed of ours? Scars are proof that God heals. They're not open wounds anymore. They're places where we can say, here's where the grace and mercy of God met me, and he will meet you too. It's beautiful. What was the hardest step for you, Sheila, when, 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 with all of this? What was the step that you just thought, man, I, I don't think I can do this? I think um, rise above disappointment okay. is one of the chapters that mm. I, I struggled with yeah. for long. Because I'm sure you know people like this, and I know you do. People who seem to, it's just like one thing after another that hits their life. Yeah. And you think, Lord, how much more can they bear? Yeah. And yet we're told, I mean, Paul tells us, we have this hope that will not disappoint. It's good. And sometimes for me, it's remembering we're not home yet. Yeah. You know, we are living in plan B, but Christ is the redeemer in plan B. I, I talk about um, being in the hallways of life. Yeah. When you feel as if a door is slammed in your face. Mm. About four years ago, 
I went through a thing where there was something happening with my back and it got to the stage where I could hardly walk. Wow. And it seemed like my whole life was just going to be stopped and closed yeah. in. And I was struggling with that because I thought, Lord, what if I can't walk again? What if I can't go out and minister? What if I'm stuck in my own bed? My husband told me later that he actually thought I was going to die. He Mm. said, you were disappearing a little bit more every day. Mm. But as I began to cry out to God, the same answer came, I will be there. I will be there. We are not promised a certain outcome. We are promised the presence of Christ, no matter what the outcome. And I've discovered when a door has been slammed in your face, Christ is the redeemer in the hallway. Wow. And when I was being pushed in for that back surgery where they removed a a disc from my back and a disc through the front, and the nurse said to me, "Um, what are you singing? I didn't even realize I was. And I realized I was singing, I surrender all. But that was in the not, that's what I want people to know. That was in the not knowing. You know, it's easy to sing that when we get through and we get the outcome we hope for. But what I have discovered is when you don't get the outcome you hope for, or you don't know what the outcome is, Christ is present. He is the redeemer wherever you find yourself. Okay, now I didn't know it was going to get this personal. I love it. And uh, I don't talk about this often, but I wake up every day in pain. Oh, gosh. And so I, I, it's not something I really talk about much. Um, but it's, it's about an hour every morning for me to really start to function like a normal guy. And so, because my back, I've had two surgeries. And so, anyways, I don't want to make this about me. But I want to stop because I believe there's a lot of people that deal with physical pain. Mm-hmm. This is not uncommon. Amen. And it's very frustrating when you're like, God, I, I, you say you'll heal and we, we know you're my savior, but I just still hurt every day. And you, you, you spoke about essentially abiding in Christ and abiding in you in those, in those moments. But I want to mention something I think is really, and I want you to touch on this. You, I love how you said, I, I'm, I'm singing and I'm praying while I'm getting the surgery. So spiritual is practical and practical is spiritual. So you went down dual paths at the same time. Yeah. Let me get this fixed. Let me get the help I can. But God, I'm still trusting you to take me to that right specialist, that right surgeon, that right counselor, that right, yeah. you know, whatever that you're needing, the right medications, yeah. all those things. Would you talk about that for a second? Because I think that that's my favorite part about this book is, it, is just the practical side is it's not like just, just, you know, jump up and down, scream hallelujah three times and God's going to heal you. No, no, not always like that. I mean, we'd all like that. Wouldn't it be great if that was it? But you're like, but, but Lord, I still go back to a bad marriage. I still got to deal with my grandkid that's driving me crazy. I still got a boss. It's, I mean, right. You know, it's like, there's still, Lord, I know that you can do anything, but sometimes the process is a long time. Yeah. Sometimes God lets Paul keep a thorn in his side. Talk about that for a second. So you're telling me you're still daily dealing with a lot Mm -hmm. of this, but yet you're still, you're on top of it. That was why one of the things that was very important for me in writing this book was I wanted to be very daily and very doable. I didn't want it to be so lofty on a, on a shelf so high yeah. that people couldn't reach it. If somebody was on their knees, I wanted them to be able to grasp hold of that. Because I find it fascinating. You mentioned Paul's thorn in the flesh. Mm-hmm. Three chapters before that, Paul describes an experience he had where God took him to what Paul describes as paradise. Mm. And that word is translated as it was when a king would take a favored subject for a walk inside a walled garden. It was a huge privilege. So it's like God gave Paul this private walk where he showed him things and told him things that he was not allowed to tell us. So he saw all of that. But still then he says, three times I begged God, take this away. But God said to him, no, Paul, here's what you need to understand. My grace 
is sufficient for you, my grace. But then he goes on to say, because my strength is made perfect in your weakness, That's not so when good. you have a bad day, not just, not just on the odd occasion. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. You know, I was recently in Cambodia. We're working on sex trafficking, getting girls and boys to safe places. And I noticed in the slum area, we were right beside a huge Buddhist temple covered in gold domes. And I asked my translator, I said, would you come with me? I'd like to talk to one of the priests. And I said to him, can you explain to me, do you ever think of taking some of this money and perhaps sharing it with the poor that are living on your doorstep? And he said, no, the poor do not deserve our help. If they will take the little they have and give it to the priests, then they may, may be reincarnated into a better place next time. Oh. It's called karma. The grace of God is the antithesis of karma. We get what we don't deserve. God's yeah. grace is sufficient for us when we will Absolutely. rest on him. Absolutely. It's amazing. It is amazing. Some religions ask their believers to bleed for them. We're the only ones who have a God who bled for us. Wow. My goodness, that's so good. Again, I want to take notes. Okay, so I'm just soaking this in. Sheila, this is it's just beautiful. I love the practical and I love the spiritual side to this too. You're just layering this so beautifully. In, in this, you know, you, you, have a lot, you have a lot of content here. You talk about celebrating the scars, tattoos of triumph, but also you, you talk about making a decision. Yeah. Unpack that for me. Mm-hmm. When did that decision when did, the, when did the decision, not just to go to God, to God help me, but when did you say, I'm in process and I'm deciding to go down this journey? When did that really begin for you? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. I was maybe six months to a year outside, out of the hospital. Okay. And I was speaking at a church in Seattle, Washington. And the pastor said, my wife is not going to come because she struggles with depression and she takes medication, but she doesn't want anybody in the church to know because she thinks will harm my ministry would you meet with her privately? And I said, if she's willing to, absolutely. So I asked for a small room at the hotel. And when she came in, she wouldn't make eye contact with me. Mm. And I said, you don't have to tell me a thing about your life, but would you let me tell you something? And I shared with her this journey. And after an hour, we were both on our knees, tears pouring down our face at the throne of grace and mercy. And when I watched that woman run into the arms of her husband, I thought, Lord, I would do all of that again for that one woman. And at that point, I said, Lord, I am all in till it's all over. (laughs) 24-7 on mission. Wow, that's amazing. You know, it it happens to everyone. Everyone can get stuck. And so when you're stuck, oftentimes we need an outside source from someone with some wisdom who's been down that road, right? Alcoholics are best helped by a former alcoholic, right? So you say, I'm stuck and I, I feel this shame and guilt and struggle and I feel broken. I don't know what to do. Why don't you get some help from someone who's been right where you are and has gotten through this and knows God's word? You're not, well, no, I'm not going to trust in all that psycho stuff. I, I'm going to, I want just the word of God. No, what, what if I were to tell you it's both? What if I were to tell you that you need to get godly wisdom that's based upon the word of God, get the physical help you need to. It's, it's not one or the other, it's both. Mm-hmm. Sheila, we all face overwhelming odds, overwhelming struggles. I mean, I don't know anyone who's, who doesn't have a story. Oh, you don't know the pain I'm going through. We all have one of those stories. So when you're at that moment of, of, of being broken apart, you're struggling, what kind of conversation are you having with God in that moment? What does that look like for you? Wow. 
I think, you know, one of the real turning points for me, um, I look back to when I was, after I'd been in the hospital maybe three weeks, my doctor said, I'd like you to take a trip outside the hospital. You know, you can go to a movie, you can go to a mall. And I said, no, I would just like to go to church. I don't care which denomination, as long as it's a Bible-believing church. And I sat in the, I sat in the very back row, yeah. listening to the words and feeling lost. But the pastor, at the end of his message, he said, some of you in here feel as if you're dead inside. You can almost hear them begin to heap the dirt on top of you. And he said, but I want you to know Jesus is here. And you don't have to get yourself out of that hole. You simply have to call on the name of the Lord and he will reach in and grab hold of you. So and good. I didn't know what the traditions of that church were, but at the end yeah. of that service, I ran to the front and I lay face down in front of the cross. And a hymn that my grandmother used to sing to me just as a wee girl came back to me, but I understood them for the first time. Rock of ages, mm. cleft for me. Wow. Let me hide myself in thee. But these two lines, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Wow. And I finally got it. I'm not the good news Jesus is. That's so good. Wow. That's so good. My goodness. Okay, I... I, I want to just challenge you guys that are watching right now. Maybe this is making sense to you for the first time. Maybe you turned over to this channel to ask the question, is this real? Is this, is this really real or, or, or not? I, I don't know. I don't know if I can buy all this. Maybe, maybe you went to church growing up or maybe you had a, you know, a, an over-religious aunt, right, that just kind of rubbed you the wrong way. Or maybe you saw a preacher that you just were offended by and you thought, that's just, that's just not real. If it's not real, why is this making sense to you now? Why is this suddenly connecting to you? Could it be that there really is a God who loves you, who deeply loves you and wants to touch your life right now? That's the reason why this is connecting with you because that's, that's the Holy Spirit speaking directly to you. And I want to give you an opportunity right now to give your life to Christ. Right now, you can pray this prayer with me and you can receive Christ as your Lord and your Savior. Just bow your head right where you are. Living room, that's fine. Maybe you're watching it on the app, that's fine. And you just trust your life in Christ's hands. Scripture says anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't say you have to do it perfect or have the right words. You don't have to clean your life up. You come to Christ just as you are. He loves you enough to meet you right where you are. You can receive Christ right now. You see, God sent his son Jesus to die for you. Then he rose again from the grave, proving that he's God. And now you can receive it. Pray this prayer with me. You can just say, Dear Jesus... I realize I need you. I believe you died on the cross for me. You paid the price for my sins. And I believe you rose again. And I ask you to come into my heart, be my Lord, and be my Savior. I repent of my sins. I put you in first place. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In your name we pray. Amen. Isn't God good? word is so true. It really is. Thank you for listening to this episode of TBN's Praise Podcast. If you enjoyed today's interview, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, share it with a friend, and consider leaving a review. We look forward to having you join us back here next week.